Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Metacast, a Novik podcast in which we explore the business of video games. Today's conversation is part of our interview series, where we invite the most interesting people in the gaming space to share with you their stories, successes, mistakes, insights, and spicy takes. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Josh Williams, CEO of Forte. Josh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast and Master the Meta and everything Navic does. So um, really excited to talk with you. Awesome. That That's great to hear. And we have a lot of play to earn related topics to tackle today. But let's begin by setting the foundation for listeners who are probably unfamiliar with Forte. Can you explain what Forte does, who it's for, and what the company is aiming to achieve? Yeah, for sure. Um, we started Forte close to four years ago now, um, really with the idea that in the near future, um, it'd be feasible to create blockchain games, games that leverage blockchain technology uh, to enable uh, players to truly own the goods that they purchase in, in games um, and use every day um, and have new sorts of economic opportunities. Um, at a mass market scale, uh, when we started, you know, four years ago, that was definitely not possible out of the gates. Um, but you know, we did a lot of research in a couple of years leading up to starting Forte, and you know, it looked like it was right on the cusp of the horizon. Um, so we got started, and we created in a platform that just makes it easy for developers um, to integrate blockchain technology to create new new economies for for their players, uh, create new um, economic opportunities for themselves uh, and their communities and really solve a lot of the tough stuff um, in in blockchain technology today from user experience to compliance to scalability and also just the design of you know tokens and an economy uh, in a way that aligns with players and, and developers and focuses on gameplay and the fun of the player experience uh, first and foremost um, so it's an end-to-end platform makes it easy for game developers to to leverage the underlying technology, uh, keep pace with all the changes um, in the blockchain landscape, uh, and sort of future-proof themselves, um, all while focusing on what they're good at, which is you know making games and managing their their players. Great, and I'm excited to to spend most of this conversation digging into everything that Forte is working on. But before we fully dive in, let's spend some time talking about you as well as play to earn more generally. So first, you know, could you recap your career for us before you joined Forte? What kind of stuff were you working on and thinking about? Yeah, before creating Forte, um, I have a background, long background in, in tech. Um, I don't love talking about myself, but, um, you know, I got started in, in fintech, um, created my first company in, in fintech and got really lucky with it. Uh, moved on from there to um, games and game development technology. Um, work with great people um, at a company called um, Garage Games, um, we, we created um, and, you know, helped develop a game development platform that was really kind of right as, at the forefront of digitally distributed games, games that were moving to um, downloadable content, web content, and then eventually mobile content. Um, then I worked with um, a bunch of different game development platforms and studios as an investor and advisor. Uh, for a long time, and then created Forte uh, about four years ago um, with with my partners. Great. 
And and I think it's it's fair to say though, when you say you're lucky all these times, the more times you're lucky, it's probably not all luck. Um, so so don't feel shy <laughs> sharing your insights with that. But um, I guess what ultimately convinced you that the the realm of play to earn and blockchain based games was worth committing to, like like what does this underlying technology enable for the first time that made you think this was worth changing your career to focus on? Yeah, you know, um, I got so excited years ago um, about building Forte as an enabling platform uh, for game developers around the world and, and for players and, and game communities around the world um, to be able to participate in. Because I think, you know, look, we players around the world, including myself, spend, you know, lots of time and lots of energy and um, lots of money in, in games today in sort of the virtual worlds that they create. But economically, um, you know, games are pure entertainment experiences and all of the purchases that players make in games today, you know, to the tune of close to $200 billion a year um, are really just entertainment expenditures from a player's perspective. Um, you know, you don't own anything in games. Um, you can, you know, spend a lot of time in games, <clears throat> really care about games, invest a lot of yourself um, and your, you know, the, the way you spend your time, um, even your, your image and sort of who you are into games, um, um, but not have any economic opportunity in the games, um, really only be able to, um, to play the games and, and not get anything but entertainment out of it. And I just think as, you know, the world becomes more digital, this will apply not just in games, um, but certainly within games. As the world becomes more digital um, and our experiences are more virtual, it'll be more important to have um, real economies and the ability to um, have property rights in virtual worlds, in, uh, including games, uh, just like we do in the physical world. And the, just because an item is digital, um, you know, with, with blockchain technology doesn't mean, you know, you can't uh, truly own it. And that's really what blockchain technology unlocks for the first time is a, a safe and sound, a secure way um, for you to be able to uh, own digital goods, to be able to prove the provenance and scarcity and kind of ownership of goods that are, you know, purely digital, um, where the cost of, you know, sort of copying a good is, is negligible. Um, but, you know, you can still have a, a true history um, and provable scarcity um, for digital goods so that they can become um, commodities and, and have, you know, real value. Um, they can become collectibles. They can be unique. Um, you know, they can have real value just like physical goods do. And I think that was the big, you know, the big change that blockchain technology unlocked. And it's part of why, you know, after my first couple companies, um, I was you know, mostly investing and helping friends with their companies and, um, you know, having a lot of fun with that. But, you know, it was really a few years ago with Forte is um, seeing this right on the horizon and, and thinking it could really be transformative and open up, you know, not only new cool games, but new economic opportunities for the now billions of people, you know, that play games around the world um, was what was so exciting to me and part of why I'm still excited today and just, you know, get out of bed hyped up um, every day to, to work on this stuff and hopefully pull the future forward a little bit. Awesome. I love that. And you were definitely ahead of the curve thinking that way about games four years ago. Uh, wow. But right now, the industry uh, is still very much 
and watch and learn phase. You know, some pioneers are extremely excited and others still have big reservations. So I want to throw a couple popular reservations your way and hear what your, you know, what your rebuttal or what your thoughts are. Um, first, many developers think that games with embedded financial incentives where players can earn some type of income um, can no longer be designed purely for intrinsic enjoyment and that the reality often leads to play to earn looking scammy or just becoming not very good games. So I'm curious, what do you think about that criticism? Yeah, I think it's a really good concern. Um, and I think, look, if a game is using blockchain technology first and foremost as a means of creating, you know, kind of financial instruments, then it isn't really a game. You know, it's like a it's like a financial product with a graphical skin on it. And for us at Forte, that's really not what we're about. Um, and it's you know we don't actually use that 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 term play to earn ourselves. Although you know it's a it's a cool term and there's a lot of cool stuff happening um, with it. You know, I think it sort of implies a little bit that you're playing to earn, like it's literally all about the, the money. And, and, you know, for us, that's not what it's about. <clears throat> what it's about is creating community, letting people that contribute in a community, you know, not, not just the developer, but the players, you know, the streamers, the, you know, everyone in a games community um, have uh, economic opportunity in the games that they care about so much and really creating sort of community economics around that. And I think if you design with the idea in mind that, hey, um, the idea isn't that players are going to play to earn per se, sounds kind of like a job, but rather players are going to play to have fun. It's a game first and foremost. Um, but when you know players make purchases, um, they can really own the things that they purchase. Um, players can trade with each other and that that can provide, you know, even more value and actually even more fun for players uh, in games. But, you know, it really has to be about the gameplay first and sort of, you know, creating an economy within the virtual world of, of the game itself, as opposed to, you know, just having tokens, just having sort of um, financial instruments with a game wrapped around it. Um, so it's really kind of, you know, reversing it. That, that said, I think, you know, these early days here are much like the early days of the internet you know, um, in 1991, you know, like almost exactly 30 years ago when the first, very first website launched, um, you know, they're super simplistic, um, just sort of exploring what's possible with the new underlying technology. And even by the time, you know, a few years later, you started to get more popular um, in those days, websites in, you know, the mid and late 90s, um, still pretty, you know, sort of simple experiences, but it was starting to become more clear that actually, you know, um, you could have any form of entertainment, you know, work uh, on the internet uh, or many forms of enter entertainment work on the internet, um, work in a web browser, <clears throat> work on a device um, connected to this global network. I think it'll be very similar in, in games. We'll see more and more real games that are you know games first and foremost and just all about the players and the and the community um just embracing the underlying technology to enable digital property rights for for players and, and that's really what it's all about mm -hmm. i actually like that you don't prefer to use play to earn as a term and i i guess i've started using it because it's, it seems to be the term that the industry is rallying behind um but i i guess just as a follow-up if you had to to rebrand play to earn to be something that is more representative of what you think 
this stands for, how would you rebrand it? Would it be something like play to own or something else entirely? That is such a good question. And I am not much of a marketer my, myself. Um, I think, you know, we talk a lot about community economics and we do that for a reason. Cause again, the, the idea is um, really everyone in a games community from the developer and publisher to the players, to, you know, people in and around the community um, that stream the game or, you know, chat about the game um, can all interact uh, with each other can all contribute, you know, value to the play experience, and and, and they do. Um, cre- you know, creators in the game who create um, mods or, or content, um, you know, they sort of all are working together to to make the game what it is, which is a you know fun, enjoyable experience. And if they can all sort of have economic opportunities and own digital um, property rights in and around the game, um, that actually can align everyone much more. Um, and we think that's what's so powerful about blockchain technology. Like a, a good example of this is, you know, if you look at the history of mods, for example, just as a, sim- a simple um, way to start to think about it, um, you know, you have people who are super creative, like diehard um, fans of a game, like in you know Warcraft Three and and um, in Half Life, you know, who created incredibly popular mods like Counter Strike or like. Dota, you know, Defense of the Ancients, um, but didn't have a way to sort of be recognized as the creator of those um, experiences and contributing to the game, using the game and the community's, you know, tools um, and to and to monetize, you know, directly. Um, I think what blockchain enables is actually a way for anyone who um, contributes to a game um, to be recognized at, for their contribution um, and to be able to, you know, truly own what they create or what they earn or what they purchase and then of course you know once you own something once you have property rights just like we saw in the real world um, you can start to create all kinds of uh, economies around you know that ownership and those property rights and players can now uh, and developers and and community members can can trade with each other they can exchange goods and services and i think we'll see you know a lot of what's happened in in the real world over the last few centuries with this kind of rising tide of, of ownership and, and property rights and economic opportunity uh, play out in the virtual worlds of, of games too. <clears throat> and just the blockchain tech just is the, the, the innovation, the underlying enabling technology that enables you to distinguish digital goods from each other and actually truly own um, you know, a particular digital good. Mm-hmm. Tackling one more criticism that some people have towards blockchains and games, what would you tell those who say that you can build player-owned economies and marketplaces you know, with more standard development tools and bypass blockchains altogether? Like, What in your mind you know, does a blockchain add that literally couldn't be done without it that more developers should be excited about? Yeah, the, this is maybe a little bit of a subtle point, but I think it will become increasingly clear as people understand um, both blockchain technology uh, and think about really what's necessary um, for, for this to really take off and, and to stick over time. But the big difference is, you know, you of course could enable players to trade with each other and even to have real value and, and cash out in a traditional game and games like Roblox uh, do a good job of, of that in a really sort of prescribed way where, you know, developers can um, sell um, content that they create uh, within kind of Roblox as a game and as a, and as a platform. 
Um, and that's great. Um, the big difference that blockchain enables is it's an open database, but it's secure. So instead of just the game developer operating the database and being the only one, the only authority that can you know write to the database um, and can authorize transactions, uh, instead, um, players themselves can own the assets. Anyone in the world can write to the database and submit you know, bids and transactions and, and trade with each other. Um, and as, as the game just connects to that open blockchain, that open database, um, you know, it enables the player experiences inside the game itself. And, and the underlying innovations in blockchain are, are pretty powerful. Um, you know, this idea of an open database uh, is, is not new. It's been a, a concept in computer science for, you know, for a long time, for over 50 years. Um, but there were some this is a little bit technical, but there are actually some impossibility results. So in mathematical terms, like, you know, theorems proving <clears throat> that a fully open database that anyone can write to, you know, could never achieve consistency or basically, you know, you couldn't prove that the transactions in the database are, are valid or agreed on. There's too many ways to attack it across like Sybil attacks where you just like replicate transactions and create fake accounts um, to denial of service attacks. Um, and the like. <clears throat> what Bitcoin did, and now blockchains more generally did, is um, they sort of pivoted the assumptions in that underlying math and introduced some mechanisms that make it possible to, for the first time, to have this open database that anyone can write to, but you can be assured that all the transactions in the database are secure and sound. And, and you know, that was the core innovation 10 years ago, and it's, it's the reason why you can do things like um, have an open blockchain that not just a developer controls, but really uh, anyone in the world can participate in and be assured that, you know, the developer um, or really no one can sort of take away the, the digital goods that they've purchased. Gotcha. Well, we could talk about blockchains and games at a high level all day, but let's shift gears and dig more into Forte itself. So Forte offers an end-to-end -end blockchain tech solution for game developers, which as you lay out on your website, revolves around three key elements. One, seamless UX, two, maximal liquidity and demand, and three, full regulatory compliance. Josh, could you break each of those points down a bit more and explain how your services help teams with each of those elements? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, if you break each of them down, there's pretty big sets of problems in, in each category there. So one, you know, if you've played any um early blockchain games today or you've tried any crypto applications you know in the DeFi or decentralized finance space or even just tried to purchase you know bitcoin or any sort of cryptocurrency um let alone tokens or, or nfts there's a pretty rough user experience to just get onboarded and if you compare it to what players are used to around the world in games today you know, it's totally untenable. Um, players are used to being able to jump into a game, you know, start to play. Um, if they if they earn something in the game or they make a purchase in the game, you know, it's got to be silky smooth and just sort of all work uh, inside of the game. <clears throat> Whereas if you go to buy, you know, a cryptocurrency or an NFT or, or, or use a decentralized application today, um, there's a really rough registration process where you're either sort of upfront going through a heavy-handed uh, experience of 
providing your personally identifiable information, your, your KYC or know your customer information, um, and centralized services like a like an exchange like Coinbase's, or where you're installing you know specialized software and having to go through uh, a lot of rigmarole to um, to use a decentralized um, application and hold your private keys and you know really carry the risk that um, if you ever lose that piece of software or forget your keys or your passphrase uh, that you'll permanently lose you know everything that you that you hold um, in, in your wallet and so what we created is a system um, that just is designed for games uh, and for mass market applications um, where uh, it's fully embedded so it sits inside of a game as opposed to being a separate site or service um, it's fully white label so you know there's not a sort of Forte brand that you have to go to in, in every game unless a developer wants to configure it um, that way uh, to go to. And it really just onboards players into being able to own tokens, whether those are earned or, or purchased or, or you know traded um, with another player, uh, all seamlessly inside of a game application. Uh, and it can do that at, at mass market scale. So the other problems beyond sort of registering are if you try to submit transactions in most blockchain applications today or applications that use blockchain technology under the hood um, you know it's also a rough user experience you sort of sign transactions you're not sure how long it's going to go through uh, how long it will take to go through if it will even go through uh, what the fees might be exactly um, and so we simplified sort of all that um, for developers so they can provide a great experience to their players and so so that's the first bucket it's just all about making putting the game first and the player experience first and so all of the sort of technologies under the hood that are necessary from from scalability to compliance and, and the like which we'll talk about um, in a second um, all under the hood to just make that seamless and, and great for both developers and, and for players the second bucket the liquidity uh, is really important if you, as a developer, a game developer, has introduced um, tokens into a game economy, you're allowing players to truly own the things that they purchase or some of the things that they purchase uh, in a game. You're enabling players to, to trade with each other. You're creating this community economy. Um, and you want that community, that, that economy to be uh, as big and as thriving and as vibrant uh, as it can be. And you want it to be the best it can be for your players and for yourself. And, you know, if you're a player or a creator or a streamer or really anyone in a games community that's participating in this economy as well, you want the same thing. You want it to be, you know, the biggest and best economy it can be. You want it to be as liquid as possible as it can be for you. And to that sounds great in theory, but to actually do that in the blockchain space um, today is, is really complicated. There are, you know, multiple... Um, exchanges in the world there's several dozen you know sort of exchanges there's multiple layer one blockchains there's all this kind of fractured liquidity all around the globe but an individual game wants to be able to connect its audience you know no matter where they are uh, in the world uh, really seamlessly um, and so we aggregate liquidity um, across exchanges and across layer one blockchains to just you know provide the biggest possible um, economy for, for, for players without having to worry about, you know, exactly where, um, you know, uh, demand or liquidity is, is coming from. Um, and we think, you know, over time, that'll be really important. Um, like most applications will, will have to do that. Um, we just, you know, we knew it would be important for game developers and to provide the best player experience, uh, and the most 
uh, economic opportunities and revenue opportunities um, for both players and publishers. So, you know, we wanted to tackle that um, up front. And the third bucket, the compliance front, is really important too. You know, not everything in crypto necessarily is regulated or is going to be regulated, but there are things that are clearly regulated. And um, at least for developers who have player audiences that they really care about, they have franchises that are valuable, and they have businesses to run, you know, where they're dependent on their on their games and the revenue they earn from games um, to operate their business and to create, you know, new content and create uh, new games and, and grow the games that they have. <clears throat> you know, of course, they have to take regulations seriously. And when you have people trading value or exchanging value with each other, you know, at least today, um, that's very often a regulated activity. Um, and so you have to comply with things like, you know, anti-money laundering rules, um, you know, terrorism financing rules. Um, and, and just from a player experience, you want to make sure that players aren't getting, you know, ripped off, that, that your players are, um, are protected. They're not inadvertently um, participating in something, you know, they wouldn't want to participate in, um, in terms of their, you know, economic activity and what they're doing in a game. <clears throat> um, but to support compliance and do so in a, a real scalable way that provides, a, again, a great player experience and an easy to integrate developer experience requires a lot of work. And that's why we started working on it a, a few years ago. So, so yeah, when we say we have an end-to-end -end platform, it's really that platform that um, takes all those pieces of the puzzle, you know, the, the ease of use and onboarding, the ease of use in transacting and, and using goods in a game, um, all the compliance in the back end, and then all, all of the economic tools and kind of liquidity and demand aggregation tools to create the biggest and best possible economy. We sort of do all that under the hood and just provide developers a simple way to integrate and access it all. Wow. That, that's a lot and very well explained. Um, maybe maybe to ground this a bit more for people who are still trying to put like understand how those pieces work in practice, could you maybe give an example or two of how studios are using Forte to make their their lives easier and thrive? Yeah, for sure. We've, we've got a great mix of uh, developers. I'm, we're all super proud to, to get to work with, uh, even already in these early days. Um, and there are a couple different categories of, of sort of games that are integrated uh, and, and either live or going live. Um, so one is de novo projects or games that are built from scratch, you know, brand new games that are really designed from the ground up um, to leverage blockchain technology to create these community economies we've, we've talked about here to, to give um, their players and creators and uh, their whole community um, real property rights um, for the goods that are purchased and, and create a thriving kind of market and marketplace uh, within the game, um, but with you know gameplay first. And so there's you know RPGs, there's there's casual games, there's um, competitive games, there's even sort of you know very user generated content focused games in that first bucket um, that we're working with and and de novo games and you know we've talked publicly about some of the designers and developers we're, we're lucky to work with, including, you know, Jeff Tunnell and, and Will Wright and, and some other just like luminary names in the in the games industry. And so those de novo projects are great um, and they're, they're super exciting. Um, but we also, one thing that's pretty unique about Forte is <clears throat> because we sort of put all these pieces of the, of the puzzle together uh, and our technology works uh, at mass market scale, um, we're also able to integrate in existing games. So games that already have audience and already monetize, 
you know, in a traditional way, like with free to play um, and in-app purchases. Uh, and we can integrate in those games. And, you know, we work with developers to introduce, for example, um, tokenized skins or tokenized loyalty systems, um, tokenized, you know, crafting goods and materials where, you know, you have more scarcity for a set of materials that can sit in parallel to um, the existing virtual goods and virtual currencies uh, in a game today uh, and actually get some, um, you know, a new way for players to, to, to play the game, to own goods uh, and to trade with each other. So we see that implemented in, in games that, you know, introduce cosmetic skins that are that are tradable, um, games that introduce new currencies that are, you know, tradable between and amongst players in their communities too. Um, and to me, it's really exciting to be able to do that and integrate in like live titles. So that's part of how, you know, we, we just launched our platform. We, we spent a couple of years kind of building the technology, all the compliance tools, um, working closely with game developers and and with regulators on um, and, and kind of with the blockchain uh, ecosystem on what's necessary to make this all work. <clears throat> but we just launched the platform after a couple of years of building it uh, just over a year ago. And, you know, we, we've said publicly, uh, you know, we're already at over 10 million monthly active users and, you know, uh, players that um, have our wallet and are active in games and, you know, using tokens uh, in games or, you know, in the millions um, already. So um, we've been super excited to see it working so well for developers early on here. Very cool. And could you provide us a snapshot of Forte's business right now and share where Forte is at in its journey, um, you know, compared to where, where you see it going? I read that um, you hit a $1 billion valuation, which congrats about that, um, and are still pre-revenue. So what's going on right now? Where, where does Forte stand in its journey? For sure. Yeah, the billion dollar valuation, you know, is, is really just, um, that's not what we focus on. We just focus on, you know, what are we trying to do for, um, for developers, for players? How can we hopefully pull the future forward and create um, something that's better for everyone involved? We think like, you know, just like the early days of the internet, <clears throat> if you could have had, you know, foresight, which some people did, um, about how revolutionary it, it really could be, um, you know, you probably wouldn't um, need to focus on, you know, how you're going to generate revenue early on. I think you could just create enabling technologies um, and create a big ecosystem uh, where there's a ton of value for, for you know, everyone that sort of leaps in and, and participates in it. Um, for, for us, you know, what we're really focused on is that is creating this enabling technology. Our plan is actually to, you know, we, we talk about um, decentralization a lot and sort of progressively decentralizing. Um, and what that means is really, you know, opening up our technology more and more over time, getting it fully open, creating an open network and, you know, open protocols that, that anyone can um, contribute to uh, that we actually don't own because um, they're, you know, fully free and open source um, and letting any, anyone kind of use the tool. So even today, you know, in order to align with that, we don't charge for the use of our platform. Um, that would be antithetical to being able to open it up one day, which sort of give you a perverse incentive to try to keep it closed or try to be able to keep charging fees. Um, I think over time, if we're successful in you know, any portion of what we've talked about here today becomes possible, uh, any, anything like what we're starting to see in the blockchain space generally continues to grow and, and is sticky. Um, 
you know, there'll be trillions and trillions of dollars actually of economic uh, activity between and amongst, you know, players and developers and the community around games. The, the sort of crypto market today is like a $20 trillion a year uh, annual volume market um, with really not a lot of use behind it yet. You know, there's not a lot of um, purpose and um, utility or, or value in, you know, many blockchain tokens um, today. Um, but they're already, you know, in demand um, to, the, to the tune of, you know, tens of trillions of dollars a year. We think it's just going to be really hard to imagine even how big things can be when, <clears throat> you know, when you're leveraging um, this really innovative underlying kind of revolutionary technology of blockchain, um, but coupling that to like real users, you know, real players, real usage, real applications, real, real games, real developers. Um, we just think there's going to be a huge market there. And, you know, by facilitating it, by helping it to be as big as it can be, by doing things like, you know, market making and uh, just things that are real value adds, um, you know, without extracting fees, um, there's all kinds of uh, opportunity to create revenue and, and profit and really just um, add value in the space. So so that's our plan. But yeah, we're very focused on the long term. And, you know, you can kind of tell from the way we thought about it from the beginning, sort of four years ago, um, that that's the approach we've taken. Absolutely. And and it's so interesting. And there's so many, so many pieces to, to kind of dig a bit deeper into here. Um, one, I, I mean, I totally buy your point about enabling technologies and how the most important piece is just building the foundation for entire industries to rally behind. And then that, that creates lots of value, which then, you know, a business can then tap into later and build revenue streams around, um, you know, you're still pre-revenue, but how do you foresee Forte's potential business models in the future? Like how, how do you think that will evolve over time and how do you think Forte will, will make money? You know, to be honest, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go further and further along. But there are some pretty obvious things that that you know make sense. We we always take a first principles um, perspective on this. Um, so so you know the main thing is that um, you know the core technologies we create um, that players and developers rely on, you know, have to be open source. Um, again, uh, can't charge fees for those things because it would be antithetical to creating you know, an open platform that developers and players and communities really, really own. Um, but, you know, as you do that um, and more developers use it and more games, you know, leverage the underlying technology, um, more players um, truly own and have, you know, digital property rights for the goods and, and, and currencies um, and assets that they use in these games that leverage the uh, blockchain under the hood. Um, as that happens and the market grows and thrives, there's all kinds of ways to potentially monetize. Um, you know, I quickly touched on market making as an example, and you know, it's not the perfect term for for this necessarily. Um, but the idea that you know, there's all sorts of you know situations where let's say one player would like to sell a good in a game. You know, like a rare piece of gear or you know, a crafting material. And, you know, even for very large games, you won't always have another player available at the same time who wants the same exact good and the same exact price range that a player's, you know, willing to sell for. 
and in economic terms, this is called a coincidence of, of once issue. Um, and so if, if either through technologies or through operations, you know, business operations, we can help make markets and provide more liquidity in a situation like that where, you know, maybe there's not another player who can step in and buy the good, but we can facilitate uh, someone else, you know, um, buying the good or, or we ourselves, you know, buy the good. Uh, and then subsequently, you know, another player comes along and wants the same thing, but just time shifted by, you know, a day, a week, a month or, or even a year, um, you know, and, and maybe the market price for uh, that good has, has uh, increased um, or there's just more demand in general, um, then, you know, there's, there's potential to make to make profit there. So, um, again, we'll, we'll feel it all out over time, um, but our principles are really around um, just creating, helping developers and, and players and game communities create the biggest possible, um, most thriving economies and providing services in and around that. It all starts with the kind of the core technology and um, opening that up more and more over time. Um, but then there's all sorts of services you can create around that too. Right. And uh, I'm curious to see where where that all leads you. Um, another point that you, you briefly hit on that I want to I want to touch on a bit more is you mentioned that over the long term, you know, Forte might plan to decentralize its platform. And I also read um, in Axios potentially dissolve itself as a company. Uh, I'm curious, is that true? One, and then like, if so, how does that work? How are, how are you thinking about that potentially playing out over the long term? Yeah, um, that that is true. Um, yep. So we want to, you know, open up our platform, open up the core technology. Um, I think that we will um, always have um, we'll, we'll create sources of value for an ecosystem um, over time, and potentially, you know, spin out um, companies that you know provide services um, that are in no way, you know, kind of proprietary or exclusive, um, but maybe you're just you know really expert. Um, in this ecosystem um, that gets kickstarted, and um, you know those things that we spin out could have you know revenue, could have profit, could have sort of enterprise value, and operate like a traditional company where it makes sense um, to do that. And uh, other you know aspects of what we do today, you know, might kind of be split up and just be purely open source um, technologies where anyone again can contribute to them and, and hopefully also earn earn value for their contributions. You know, um, when people in the blockchain space talk about decentralization, it's kind of this umbrella term and it's like a, you know, a panacea for, for, for everything, but actually there's, you know, many dimensions upon which you can sort of decentralize. Um, and we try to be super thoughtful about, um, the way we decentralize and still provide great services for, for publishers and developers and sort of how do you stand up this ecosystem that can be self-supporting and organic where, where people can profit, you know, like there's a, there's an economic reason to, you know, improve the technology or, or write more code or provide a better, faster service or, you know, create more liquidity. Um, you can have these economic incentives in the system and we, or companies we create, you know, may participate in those too. Um, but, you know, the core principle is really to, to make it an ecosystem uh, and not a closed kind of walled garden that, only we have access to. Like it's really the publishers, the developers, the, the players in their communities um, that create the value here. And we're just sort of creating enabling technologies and, and services. Yeah, this is this is so interesting to me. And it it's very much 
especially you know if it leads to Forte dissolving and decentralizing as a company, it like it just very much is pioneering a new type of business model, especially for games. Uh, and I'm curious, like how that jives with raising venture capital. Like, does it turn into like a DAO and get tokenized? I know it's this is a long, long ways off, and you don't you don't even necessarily know how it will play out. But can you maybe just add a little bit more color to like how like how could that work? Just like a company dissolving itself and becoming decentralized. Like, what is it? Like, I, I understand like potentially like a platform and technology what that turns yeah. into, but like, what about what about kind of the decentralization at the company level? What does that turn into? Mm -hmm. No, it's a really good question. And yeah, I do think um, as blockchain technologies um, take off, they're incorporated in more and more real applications that use them in, you know, fundamentally important ways. Um, more and more companies will shift to trying to figure out how to best align with um, the underlying technology and the users, you know, um, either in their marketplace or, or on their platform. Uh, and a lot of that will result in sort of people thinking about, you know, um, less about companies and, and more about, you know, decentralized organizations of, of, of various kinds. Like, you know, just to zoom out a little bit here, uh, the idea of a corporation is is pretty new in, in, in human history. And what it is, is, is um, you know, in most jurisdictions around the, the world, it's it's this legal construct where you can have sort of joint ownership in a, in a common interest. Um, but it's like a very bounded kind of legal um, entity structure. Um, what I think is so cool about blockchain technology is it, it creates a, a new kind of a technology-oriented way uh, to create economic organizations um, where people can participate uh, and can either purchase or, or earn value um, in the goods and assets and sort of... Um, value streams that the underlying technology creates. So even internally at Forte, we, we really try to be careful about, you know, calling ourselves an organization, you know, not a company. Um, and I think the idea here over time is, you know, there may be companies that spawn or are formed. I think there will be um, in and around what we're doing and the sort of ecosystem we're, we're creating um, today. Um, but overall, you know, we call ourselves Forte Labs for a reason so that we can really create this technology uh, spin up, you know, businesses that might be more corporations, more companies um, over time, if it's necessary to enable the ecosystem. Um, but in other instances, you know, do the opposite and really just um, create technologies that um, anyone can can use and get access to. So, so long-winded answer, but um, I think you're right that um, it, it's all new, um, and I think it will be increasingly important for. Uh, for many companies to think about it. And there's a lot of this kind of research and thinking going on in the in the crypto space, DAOs and tokenizing things. Like that's one um, aspect of, you know, what's possible uh, over time. It's not always the right thing to do. Um, I think often it's not the right thing to do. Um, but um, the idea that, you know, you can incubate technologies, foster an ecosystem, and then either create companies or, you know, create protocols that provide services and, and create value over time. Um, I think will happen more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. And thanks for bearing with me on that tangent. I think that, you know, right now, the industry as a whole is becoming really interested about, you know, again, play to earn as it's as it's being called, especially at the games level. And I just have a feeling in the back of my mind that almost like a next phase 
of interest will be more about, you know, asking the question like, so what does this mean for companies? Like how, how could it change how companies are formed and designed within games too? And obviously we're at the very bleeding edge of that, but it feels like, um, feels like something that's going to become more, more important. Um, I think so too. Cool. Um, well, anyways, uh, a couple more questions about Forte. Then I'm, I'm curious to ask some more um, uh, other questions about like what companies can learn and how they can kind of kind of think through um, adapting blockchain technologies for themselves. First, I have a just a nuts and bolts question that I, that I'm curious about. Um, I imagine that an end-to-end infrastructure solution you know, can differ depending on the specific game being built, but also the specific blockchain or even layer of that blockchain that a team works on. And there there are an increasing number of options out there, right? You have Ethereum, Flow, Immutable X, Solada, Ronin, etc., um, which most people listening to this podcast might not have heard of half of those. Um, but I, I'm curious, how does Forte think about properly serving an ever-competitive array of blockchain options? Do you do you aim to be blockchain agnostic or um, do you need to double down or want to double down on certain blockchains and solutions that you think will win? How does how do you think through that? Uh, such a good and important question. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, this is a brand new space um, and it's moving pretty quickly. Um, there's a lot of innovation going on. You know, we are nowhere near the end state today of um, blockchain technology development. Um, there's a lot of problems to, to be solved still. There's a lot of innovation um, yet to occur. And again, going back, you know, even before we formed Forte actually and doing all the R&D that led up to it, um, you know, we thought that that would be the case, that um, there wouldn't be just one blockchain um, to rule them all. We thought it would be really important for, um, for publishers, for example, um, to have freedom of choice uh, to not be tied to you know just one blockchain or one ecosystem and and um, to be able to sort of future proof and embrace you know more and more um, underlying technology innovations as they uh, are born and, and, and come online and, and see usage <laughs> and I think you know over the last few years we've, we've seen that you know as you said there's a number of really compelling um, blockchains that all make different, um, fundamental architectural design decisions and, and trade-offs in the way that they're structured and how they secure assets, um, the degrees to which they're decentralized in, in different dimensions. Um, and we think it's really important over time to um, make sure developers can leverage um, all of the underlying technology innovation um, without having to you know, sort of uh, port you know, do a heavy port job of, of their technology and their game, let alone of their players and their community uh, and the, the um, goods and, and assets that uh, players own in their community um, across these blockchains. So, so yeah, we take a multi-chain ap- approach. Um, you know, from the beginning, uh, it's been really important to support um, freedom of choice for, for publishers and, and for players ultimately. That said, we're not totally agnostic, um, you know, f- to support an underlying blockchain, you have to really deeply understand its technology. Um, and there has to be a reason to, to use it. Um, those reasons can vary across um, you know, a few dimensions. One being you know, what developers and publishers are interested in, 
uh, and what the market around the under what the ecosystem and market around the underlying technology looks like. But but most importantly, is sort of how does the what does the technology fundamentally do um, that's innovative? Is the blockchain actually secure? Um, and if it's not, you know, secure or decentralized today, is there a clear path um, for um, the sort of progenitors or for the community around the blockchain to get it there? And so we have sort of a minimum set of requirements around um, the security and, and scalability of a, of a blockchain um, in order to support it. But assuming um, that's all there, then, then yeah, we support a number of underlying layer ones. And we think that's, you know, really important uh, over time. Uh, it'll be critical to, to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, also, a couple of years ago, um, you and Ripple announced a $100 million blockchain fund to accelerate the mainstream use of blockchains in games. Um, can you elaborate on how that fund works? And now that we're two years post-announcement, can you speak to any progress or hits that have resulted from that fund? Yeah, it's, it's been great. Um... Uh, the fund is, is has been working great and is still working great. I think we'll see more and more of this, and I think you know we'll do more of it um, ourselves as well. Um, what these funds are really about is sort of about seeding an ecosystem, um, helping developers either you know sort of de-risk um, all of the complexity uh, around uh, not only adopting blockchain technology but thinking through you know, their game design and how to integrate digital property rights for players and um, new sorts of digital goods and, and assets uh, inside of a game in a really thoughtful way that aligns with their, you know, their gameplay and their and their fan communities, their player communities. Um, and it's just a lot of work um, and there's some risk in it too. Um, so what the funds are really about in general, <clears throat> um, including, you know, um, this first one, it's, it's really about uh, creating a bigger, broader ecosystem faster, giving developers the really the freedom um, to think deeply, um, to add resources if they need to, um, to do a great job um, in leveraging the technology and creating fun designs and you know working closely with their player communities to sort of test things out. Um, and I think we've seen you know great traction with that. A lot of you know the um, the traction we have already, uh, let alone you know, the additional sort of um, integrations we have that aren't live yet, um, you know, started at least in part uh, as a result of, you know, ecosystem funds like that. <clears throat> and again, I think, you know, it's not a totally unique idea. I think a lot of people in the blockchain space are thinking about how they can foster a bigger and better um, ecosystem in general. Um, it's something, again, we're, we continue to be interested in um, broadly in terms of enabling more and more game developers to um, adopt these things, and even in terms of driving, you know, end user adoption as well um, amongst players. So, um, so yeah, I think we'll see more and more of it. Um, you know, for 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 games, um, we've got a number of live games today that are you know have um, live titles, and, and you know we let developers talk about their games, so we're not you know stealing their thunder. But um, but a number of great developers and games live today, uh, and a bunch more in the pipeline, including you know. Like I said earlier, de novo projects built from the ground up for this stuff, where you know a little bit of funding goes a long way um, to get uh, the beginnings of a game off the ground and really kind of prove out a prototype and make sure it's fun and you know and that it has a, a viable economy kind of uh, under the hood too. So, um, so yeah, I think it's been great so far, and we'll see more of it. Um, and that that idea of sort of a multi-chain uh, approach really works too. You can be thoughtful about uh, you know works in this regard. You can be thoughtful about 
you know, what each blockchain and each ecosystem, um, what the blockchain architecture is designed to do and where it's, you know, really powerful and, and useful um, and uh, what the ecosystem, you know, around that blockchain cares about and then map that to, you know, what's important in games. Um, so like the XRP ledger, which Ripple created, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's great for um, doing low latency, low cost, you know, transactions. And, and that's really important in a game environment when you want um, players to be able to trade and, and like settle transactions with each other quickly. So, you know, it kind of works under the hood to help provide liquidity. And, um, you know, we, we basically look at every, you know, possible partnership um, from, a, again, a first principles perspective around, um, you know, what is the value add for developers and, and players, um, you know, outside of funding, which is just sort of a, a short term, um, a short term idea, really long term, what does the technology fundamentally bring to the equation that would that would help a player, help a community, help a developer? Awesome. Yeah, that's great context. Let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about some best practices when it comes to blockchains and games. Um, Josh, as, as you and your team have worked with various studios, have you picked up any best practices for how developers should begin to incorporate um, blockchain-based economies and technologies into their games? So for example, I imagine that adding tokens and marketplaces and potential interoperability, um, et cetera, is a lot for teams to come out of the gate with on day one. Um, so I'm curious, what what best practices have you learned about succeeding in the actual process of incorporating these solutions and then scaling them up over time? Yeah, really important question. I, I think it's this is actually what we spent the most time um, thinking about and working with developers on over the last um, few years, I think it'll be actually what really sets um, great games apart um, from other games that you know leverage blockchain technology in, in various ways. Um, and where it really starts is kind of to your point earlier, Aaron. Um, it starts with um, the gameplay itself and what players care about in a game. And you know, are there natural ways? It's not necessarily the case in, in every single game, but are there natural ways that um, you know players might want to truly own um, some of the things that they either create uh, or purchase or earn in a game? And if that's true, then um, you know there, there's like a fundamental reason why a player may want to actually own some of the things again they, they purchase or earn or, or create in a game. Um, then how can you create gameplay systems where players can can trade with each other? There's a reason to want to collaborate um, with other players uh, in in the game's economy um, to um, work with a community around the game uh, and open it up. So so the process really kind of starts with game design and what is the game either you're trying to create or the game that you have today? You know what do your players care about? Are there cool things that um, players really would like to be able to own if they if they truly could uh, are there ways that players would want to be able to you know um, trade with each other whether it's for goods or, or, or services um, within a game and you know there's all kinds of examples of this actually where you know if you just had the enabling technology to sort of um, track it all enable it all and make sure it's secure uh, and that you know there's a viable way to like hold and, and use real world value in these games um, you know, more and more developers would embrace it. We, we talk about, you know, for example, Animal Crossing. Uh, that's, that's not a game that we're working with, you know, today, but just, you know, a game that might not even sound on the surface like, um, 
blockchain could make sense for it or that a player a, a player community uh, and, a, and a community economy um, could make sense you know first blush uh, it actually really could work because you know if you look at what happens in animal crossing there's you know a lot of trading that happens in the game today um, with um, you know the rare goods in in the game and players sort of trading you know goods and services with each other and going to third-party websites um, to be able to do that and so the idea that you know players naturally want to be able to own things in a game um, they want to be able to trade uh, with each other um, earn different goods um, you know ask each other for you know for help in different ways um, give you you know be able to uh, reward other players for their contributions. Uh, I think that's just very natural in, in lots of games. Um, and so the process really starts with the, the game design and then sort of what players care about uh, within the game, um, how ownership and property rights could, could change um, the player experience and, and improve it, and then how you can design economy around that fundamentally. <clears throat> and then in terms of rolling it out, you know, we work with developers to take a, a really methodical approach where you, you know, introduce tokens uh, into the game, you know, as gameplay goods uh, and currencies <clears throat> that have real use in the game. Um, so, you know, it's a cool skin that, that people care about. Um, it's a crafting material. Again, it's a it's a loyalty system or, you know, a new currency that's used for, for trading, um, specifically, <clears throat> you know, any of these sorts of use cases. Um, but you carefully introduce it, you know, you watch how players react, you know, both in terms of your metrics and the community reactions, um, and then, you know, methodically grow the economy uh, over time. Uh, because, you know, again, the player experience is first and foremost, um, the fun of the game is what's most important. Um, and, you know, everything else is just all about enabling more alignment um, with players and communities and, and developers uh, around a game. And, and you've lightly hit on this a couple times, but Forte has helped developers optimize their token economy designs, figure out how to make that work, uh, which for the vast majority of teams making games is something entirely new to, to figure out. Uh, could you highlight one or two or three you know, learned best practices around what makes a token economy design successful versus unsuccessful? Yeah, the the best practices are, are really, um, first of all, you know, thinking carefully again about what players, um, you know, may want to own in the game and how players sort of work with each other uh, in a game today. Whether you know if it's an existing title uh, or for for a new game, you know, um, what player, what you think players will, will really care about and what they want to do, uh, and then how um, owning um, goods. In the game and being able to trade uh, with each other could really um, change the player experience. So, best practices, you know, start with the design, the gameplay design itself, uh, and then actually being pretty analytical. Which you know, large game developers and publishers who who operate um, larger games, especially in the free-to-play space, are very analytical about um, you know the way their free-to-play economies are designed, and you sort of have to bring the same ethos um, here to the concept of tokens and uh, a community economy and, and, and player ownership and, and trading. <clears throat> um, and so there's a sort of modeling and analytical phase, um, which we think is really important sort of best practice for looking at things like, you know, how scarce goods are in a game, how players can earn them. You'd be really careful about things like um, botting and, you know, ensuring that earnable goods um, 
you know, don't just become um, a, a sort of grind for players to get because they might have real value or, um, you know, ensuring that um, goods are unique, but not so unique that players who really want them um, can't ever get them uh, or could never afford them. Um, so there's a lot of sort of careful balancing that um, has to happen. And it starts with a set of questions. We, we with the developers we work with, you know, here in the early days, we sort of boil these down to um, uh, some sort of what we call economies in a box, like some templates you can think about with respect to um, like earnable goods and currencies, um, purchase, purchasable and tradable goods and currencies, you know, very unique items that are ultra rare versus items that, um, you know, might be more common in a game like crafting materials or, or commodities. And we sort of create um, token um, designs around each of these different classes of, of goods and of tokens uh, and help developers orient around, you know, how to integrate them, what quantities and, and kind of supplies should look like, um, how they can help players, you know, create a thriving uh, market uh, over time based on, you know, the scarcity of the goods, um, the demand for the goods, and what players ultimately want to, you know, either collect uh, or use in the game or, or what they might want to trade and, and, and sell uh, each other in terms of the goods and services. Um, so there's there's a lot of game design and a lot of sort of modeling and analytics that go into go into it all. I like that phrase, economies in a box. Uh, I like that. And I'm, I'm really excited to see all the experimenting that's that's going on, too. Um, pretty crazy when you think about all the economic experiments that are going on. I mean, in crypto in general, just everywhere. But I guess now coming to games as well, accelerating that that experimenting. Um, one, one question that has sort of come to mind as we've, as we've been talking um, is that it seems like most of the work, most of the innovation in play to earn or blockchains and game, whatever you want to call it, uh, is happening with startups and with people who are earlier stage and willing to take more risk. Or, you know, they just don't have to deal with legacy infrastructure and decision making. But I'm curious, when and how do you think AAA publishers like the Epics and Activisions or Riots of the World were publicly enter this blockchain based realm? Yeah, I've been actually really um, pleasantly surprised uh, by this. I, I think you're right. Um, a lot of the innovation will come from small studios, and yeah, that's a lot of where my own personal kind of um, passion is around. And you know, garage games and a lot of what I've done just over time is all about enabling indie developers and uh, small studios to create games they're they're passionate about and you know find an audience and, and the like. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. But I've also been very pleasantly surprised that, you know, big developers, big studios, even, you know, the largest publishers are looking really seriously at this stuff. You know, we can't talk about it publicly yet, but, you know, we're working with some of them um, today, including, you know, the largest ones. And um, yeah, it's been really impressive. I think the games, one thing I love about games and why, you know, I I just love games as a, as a player, you know. Um, and I think they do some cool some cool stuff. But one thing I love about the industry is it's so uh, forward leaning. It's very innovative. It's you know an early adopter of every major um, technology um, that you know um, ends up impacting um, you know consumers around the world. Whether it's you know microchips and computers themselves, <clears throat> or you know the internet uh, and the web and, and mobile devices and cloud computing. 
you know, games are always very early in the adoption curve. I think we're starting to see the same thing um, in the blockchain space today, which is great. And the other thing is, you know, game developers and game publishers, including the largest ones, <clears throat> uh, have a long history of adapting their business model um, to suit underlying technology and really get closer and closer to players and more aligned with, with players over time. Like, you know, going back to the arcade era with the introduction of the very first large-scale integrated circuits, um, you know, it enabled people for the first time to build um, computers that could be, you know, produced for, like, tens of thousands of dollars. And the, the games industry sort of sprung up around, you know, arcades and the idea that you buy this expensive machine one time and then you monetize it over time in an arcade. And players, you know, if you have fun games, players will actually physically go into the arcade and pop quarters into a machine, you know, repeatedly to, to play. And so the game design uh, and the business model, you know, wrapped itself around the technology and the ways that players uh, engage with it and what players can do. And then, you know, the industry totally transformed itself and shifted again with an underlying um, technology progress and innovation with the advent of systems on a chip and, and CPUs, um, which enabled, you know, home PCs and home consoles. Um, and, you know, games totally shifted both their design, the game design, and their entire business model to embrace, you know, retail distribution. Um, you know, if you, if you zoom out and think about it, this is incredibly disruptive, you know, change. Um, and, uh, but the industry adapted and, you know, some of the old, um, you know, arcade players, um, like, uh, Sega and, you know, Konami and, and others, um, you know, adapted well, um, to the home console era and, and others didn't. And then with the advent of the internet, um, you know, you saw more digitally distributed games, more online sort of business models with subscriptions and downloadable content for purchase. And then ultimately kind of culminating with cloud computing as the underlying technology innovation and games as a service, free-to-play monetization. And, you know, at each step, it's games making a pretty transformative leap of the business model and the way they engage with players. But also at each step, growing the industry, getting closer and closer to, to players, aligning with players more. You know, the idea that a free-to-play game, as many, you know, issues as there are with free-to-play games <clears throat> um, and the way that they, they monetize, you know, the fact that you can jump into a game that might have cost 50 or or $100 million or more to... to to produce and to market and distribute uh, and play totally for free and, and have fun and make progress is pretty compelling compared to the idea that, you know, you got to buy a game up front for, for $60, you know, it's just much more accessible to, to a player. And so I think this is just another step in that overarching sort of progress for the industry. And I think like big, big publishers and small developers both um, are starting to embrace it and they'll embrace it quickly. I think the industry also recognizes that this is sort of a, a pattern now. And even the big guys uh, pay attention to underlying change, uh, maybe faster than they than they did. You know, I was around for the transition of um, from kind of digitally distributed games and um, retail purchase models, like with big upfront purchases, to free to play. And certainly in the West, um, most of the established game designers and and developers and publishers you know, thought it was a total joke, um, the idea to, to introduce um, free-to-play games and sort of give away give a game away for free and how could you create a compelling experience that way, let alone make a business work. Um, but, you know, over time they, they figured it out and now in-app purchases um, dominate, you know, most of the revenue in the industry and free-to-play is a big chunk of that. Um, so I think we'll see the same thing in blockchain games. It'll drive, you know, new designs, um, 
new innovation, and ultimately a business model that's just better for players, aligns players and publishers much more uh, in the same way you know past innovations have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, let's go ahead and, and wrap up with a couple questions that we, we try to ask every, every guest we have on. First, what is the best piece of career advice you've ever received, uh, especially when it comes to, to building companies and or thriving in the gaming industry? Hmm. Uh, great question. Um, I think, you know, it's a very personal thing, but, you know, just trying to think about um, what you really care about is probably the best career advice anyone can have in terms of how you want to spend um, your time, I think. Um, for some people, you know, that might mean, um, you know, they really care about trying to uh, affect change uh, or have an impact, um, or they really enjoy thinking of, you know, new things and, and ideas and maybe they don't enjoy, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, sort of following a, a prescribed path. And, and so for those people, you know, being more entrepreneurial uh, makes sense. And I think there's whole catalogs of advice if you're going to think about being an entrepreneur and uh, and how to do it. But I think it, the best advice is just to, you know, to think about yourself and, and to start if you want to be entrepreneurial. But, it, you know, if you're not entrepreneurially minded and you just really like the idea of, let's say, you know, creating uh, really cool art uh, in a game or, you know, solving technology problems uh, in a game or, you know, really anywhere in the tech space. Um, also to think there, you know, what you really care about. Um, I think one of the cool things that's happening um, in the economy in general, and I think blockchain will enable this more and more, is that people um, have more options for how they uh, can earn livings, um, how they can um, create opportunities or seize opportunities. Um, and so I think as that happens more and more, and there's more and more um, opportunity, hopefully, in the world. Um, the most important thing is to just think about yourself and, and what you care about, and, and um, you know how you think you could uh, create something fulfilling um, with what you do with your time, because <clears throat> it really affects like so much of your life. So, so yeah, I think think about yourself, and, and then really just get started. You know, dive in, and and also just be open to changing if you if you got it wrong to start. You know, if you, if you thought one thing would be enjoyable and it turns out it's not, you know. Um, change it up. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Final question. Do you have a bold prediction about anything related to the future of the gaming industry? A bold prediction. Um, Let's see. In, in 2000, gosh, 2005 or six, I made a bold prediction that, you know, like at GDC, the games game developer conference, um, you know, six or seven years from there that, that, um, you know, five, six years later um most of the games industry would sort of move to um mobile and and web games and sort of free-to-play games and um i think that turned out to be right i think here i would say you know i really think in five years um blockchain games will be uh i don't know if it'll be the majority of the industry but a huge part of the industry i think change will happen faster um here than people currently expect it will I, i think in a lot of ways the change will be uh, even faster than, than it was in, in mobile uh, and free-to-play. Um, I think we'll still see, you know, all kinds of games with, you know, all kinds of different um, distribution platforms, various ways of monetizing. But I think as, you know, people spend more and more time uh, online <clears throat> in digital experiences, you know, including in games and around games, uh, it'll be more and more important for them to 
to have real ownership of uh, you know of their time in ways they can um, they can create value and 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 receive value um, from uh, the ways they play, the ways they interact, the ways they contribute uh, in a game, uh, and that ultimately that'll create bigger bigger uh, opportunities, better opportunities um, for everyone, uh, including developers. And once you see a few few examples of that clicking, um, you know everyone will want to figure it out really quickly. Um, so yeah, I think in a few years, um, you know, if we talk again in, in five years, I think it'll be a lot about just um, some of the best practices, you know, which which um, Master the Meta and, and Navig do such a good job, like best practices of, of you know, blockchain game design and token economy design, um, you know, uh, not just free-to-play design. Awesome. I love that. Josh, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, again, huge fan of what you guys do. So it's, it's a real honor to be able to talk through this stuff with you. Thanks for thanks for having me. Sweet. Definitely happy to hear that. And to all of our listeners, if you like what you heard, remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, shoot us a message at metacast at novic.co and you can find more great content about the business of video games at our website, novic.co. Thanks again for tuning in. And we look forward to speaking with you next time.